Well, we are one week into the 2023 season. Lots to get to on the Cubs front here tonight. It's behind the yellow line. We got Jeremy here. We got Randall here. Opening week for the Cubs. They dropped two of three to Milwaukee at Wrigley Field. Then a rain-shortened series in Cincinnati, which ends up a 1-1 split. So we record tonight, one week into the regular season. Cubs record at 2-3. and three. Randall, your tweets this week. Lots of tension, a lot of frustration coming from you. Is that how you would describe the first week of the year? Uh, there was definitely some frustration in this first week of the year. Uh, some tough losses against the Brewers, who I maintain are not a very good team. Uh, I think they're mediocre more so than good. And the Reds, I don't think there's a whole lot of debate. I think they're bad, and I don't think anybody debates that. And the, the Cubs couldn't hold multiple multi-run leads. Yeah, there was some frustration. But uh, breaking out on uh, whatever night it was, Tuesday night helped a lot. So ho- hopefully it gets better from here. I was feeling pretty good just in general about having Cubs baseball back, Major League Baseball back. You know, we had a week of real games. I, I was very excited. Uh, pretty much almost every day we had a game uh, on. Unfortunately, these past two days, we don't have a game with the off day and the rain out. That kind of sucks. But, you know, just seeing being back at Wrigley on opening day was awesome. So I I, I was pretty excitable. Yeah, it stunk to drop a couple of games that they had the lead in. But uh, I'm, I'm excited about Cubs baseball. I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, it's definitely fun having games back. We'll have a lot to get to about the first week of games. The first uh, homestand with night games is coming up starting this weekend and into next week. we got some minor league baseball news. We'll take a quick look around the majors, a couple of other storylines I want to get your guys' thoughts on. And then I got something at the end here about the MLB TV viewing experience. A little bit different this year with the introduction of minor league games. Some good, some bad has been my experience, at least the first week trying to watch games. But, you know, at least it started on the right foot. I do want to start with some of the positives from the first week here. And I think we got to start with the top of the rotation. Marcus Stroman, brilliant on opening day at Wrigley Field. Six shutout innings, eight strikeouts. The Cubs blanked the Brewers. Uh, There were moments in the game where some Brewers got on base, and it could have been a little bit dicey for Stroman. But all in all, eight strikeouts opening day. That was great to see from the Cubs' top pitcher. Yeah, I thought Stroman came out wonderful. He pitched very well. Uh, it was a great game, a great game to be at. He, uh, you know, eight strikeouts, as you mentioned. He got through it. Really, he did have a couple of moments, as you mentioned. But most most of that game, he was he was pretty much performing. And then you have the great Cubs defense, uh, Nico and Dansby, to get him out of a, of a little jam with a double play uh, ball that, you know, that was what we signed up for. We signed up for some decent pitching, some great defense. And the Cubs, you know, they had a few hits. They got they had a nice little uh, inning where they got four runs. They uh, a little bit on a, some miscues by the Brewers, but you know what? They you, you take advantage of that. And it was nice to see the Cubs with a four nothing win back to back years beating Corbin Burns on opening day. Uh, Jeremy, of course, you were fortunate enough to be at that game. And like you said, there was the brief moment where Marcus Stroman loaded the bases and then his middle infield bailed him out, turning a great double play on a ball, uh, the uh, double play that Nico started from deep in the hole. And that's where we all said, oh, yeah, that's why you pay your money for this infield defense, because they're going to do that for this pitching staff. So all opening day was just all good vibes as far as that game went. It, it didn't hurt that it was hit by. 270 pound Rowdy Telez, who the moment they got that out at second, I was like, don't worry about it. Just throw it over. Uh, right. You know, if they had a little bit more fleet of foot guy running the bases there, I think it would have been a little bit of a tougher play to turn that double, but it was a huge moment. You know, the rest of the weekend, frustrating 
for the Cubs. You look at Saturday, Justin Steele, brilliant, six shutout innings. He also strikes out eight. Offense not there for the Cubs on Saturday. Bullpen gives it up late. And then Sunday, just kind of a brutal pitching performance from both the starting rotation into the pen. Uh, Randall thought there were some junk hits from the Brewers on Sunday, but regardless, you drop the last two and you lose that opening series of the year. There were some junk hits, all junk hits from the Brewers, both games, everything, everything on a parachute, everything dunked into the outfield, everything soft, everything weak. That's the that's the hallmark of the Brewers offense is soft, weak garbage, and they do it just enough to make it hurt. I was actually at the game Sunday or Saturday, I beg your pardon, uh, from a point of the ballpark I'd never sat in before, the famed Hornitos Hacienda. I don't know if it's Hornitos, Hornitas, whatever, in the left field bleacher corner. Never sat there before. And it was a great game right up until the point where the Cubs were losing. And, uh, you know, it's great to be back at Wrigley, but you you wish you could go there and see a win. I've been uh, fortunate enough to see the Cubs' first loss of the season two years in a row now. So one of these these seasons, I will break that streak. Wow, you got to get out there on opening day, I guess, when the Cubs are going to win. But uh, clearly... you uh unfortunately i feel like this first week of the season uh we've seen some flaws a little bit possibly with the manager you know david ross like that game on saturday i thought you know i didn't really mind javier side going out for that second inning because he kind of dominated that seventh but he should have been on a quicker leash i I thought ross left him in a little bit too long there and you know they got beat there was i i didn't think he should be out there and so, and then of course, we could talk about what happened in Cincinnati with Patrick Wisdom and that button, which I didn't understand at all. So there's been some moments early on in the season where I've been I've been a little bit disappointed with David Ross. And I thought Saturday that game against the Brewers that 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 one some bullpen management could be put back on the manager there. Some some real questionable moves in this first week, leaving Assad in an inning too long, like you said. Uh, I think they are very badly missing, say, a Suzuki in right field because you're just kind of piecing it together. And defensively, it is showing at times that you're just piecing it together. And then, of course, in Cincinnati, again, the same thing, kind of leaving guys in a couple batters too long. It hasn't been Ross's finest week. Um, but, you know, just like a, a player slumping in the first week, you hope he's able to kind of learn himself out of it. But uh, some very questionable moves by the manager in this first week of games. It's a little peculiar to me as well, because I've not been very critical of David Ross the last couple of years. I think he's done a nice job, actually, all things considered. Got the division championship in that funky first year, just sort of kept everything together with all the uncertainty with COVID-19. And frankly, the losses the last two years, it's talent deficiency, right? This roster has had a lot of problems the last two years. It's got me scratching my head, though, because... I've been annoyed with David Ross's opening week, and I thought, yeah, you could talk about the wisdom thing. I think that's fair. Drew Smiley was left in that ball game way too long also on Far Monday, which led to the Reds taking the lead again and the Cubs ultimately not winning it. So I'm a little bit concerned here because the last few years I've not had a problem with David Ross, and I don't think it's been his best week. No, I don't think it's been his best best week either. I mean, the one thing you you, you do can look back over the past couple of years was they did have that like eleven game losing streak when they were in first place, and they were you know had all the talent in the world, and they basically just punted that season, like that led to the trade deadline. So sometimes you wonder like, well, where does that fit in? Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I I actually thought what Randall said about the Brewers, but in regards to Drew Smiley, I thought Drew Smiley got beat around on some on some like some pretty weak hits that, that day against Cincinnati. But I agree with you. I do think, you know, at, at some point it was like, okay, let's just take this guy out. Um, I thought Smiley actually performed a little bit better than Tyone did on Sunday. Um, Cause like it was ridiculous on what was happening in Cincinnati, but yeah, you look at 
the week as a whole, uh, there's been some head scratchers. I realize, you know, it's the first week of the season. There's a lot going on. Certain guys are on, you know, Marcus Stroman on a normal day, probably you would have probably left Marcus Stroman even in longer than, but it was opening day, first game of the season. You're going to take him out after six innings. Right. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the season unfolds with David Ross at the, at the helm, because I'm not going to say this is like a competitive team. There's still that talent efficiency, but you still want to see David Ross, like prove that he's the guy to be, yeah. to be for the future, like to make some decisions. And I do wonder how much like input he had in the fact that the Cubs are only carrying two outfielders. That does still seem to be kind of ridiculous this early season, even though say is reportedly back soon. Well, I hate to say, I told you so. And of course I don't mean that I'm satisfied saying I've been telling everybody who will listen to me for the last three months that Trey Mancini is not an outfielder. Do we finally believe me? Do you guys finally understand what I've been saying for the last couple of months? That was rough. Hey, I was, I, you know, I, I thought Trey Mancini, you could put him in a couple of times. I, I still don't mind I him out there a little bit. I do think like we've relied on him a little bit too much so far because Seiya is out. Also in my opinion, like Miles Mastroboni, I don't, I mean, we put him out there as a defensive replacement, but that one ball, he, I thought he had more of a chance. I at least lay out for it, dude. Like he'd be pulled up on that, on that ball against the Brewers. So it's been interesting that the fact that they don't, they've only played two legitimate outfielders. Like they don't have a third guy. So you don't want to see Mancini, as you said, out there every day. Um, so I, that is a deficiency and hopefully say can come back soon. Here's something we can celebrate. Uh, Dansby Swanson had a great first week with the Cubs. Even his outs are loud outs. He's just crushing the ball. It's just hitting it at center fielders or other guys out on the field. But top three in the order here, Nico, Dansby, Ian Happ, through a week, 480 average, six extra base hits, 11 walks, 18 runs scored. I mean, they're setting the table here for this lineup. I think that's been awesome watching those three at the top really get things going. You know, we know this is not going to be right now an offense that scores a lot of runs when they win games. It's going to be pitching and it's going to be defense. But when your top three hitters are that productive, even if there's nobody behind them, you're giving yourself a, a real solid chance. Even that awful game Sunday, it started the, the Cubs bottom of the first inning did. What did Nico do? He singled, he stole second, and he scored on a Dansby Swanson RBI single. That's what you dream about when you put those two hitters right there at the top of the order. You dream about them being productive immediately and you know they're not going to keep this up the whole season everybody goes through ebbs and flows but right now that's a really capable really talented duo hitting one two in the cubs lineup and it's fun to watch dancy's been great yeah he hit the, the the funny thing is like maybe the two best hit balls he's had all season have been out so he hit on opening day he hit one that i thought was going to go over center fielder's head but you know didn't quite get that leap it was, it was that ball was crushed i think 109 miles an hour and then he had another out to the track at 106 miles per hour the other day but he's been great even the balls like he hasn't hit like he's finding gaps finding holes uh and he's had probably one of the best debuts first few games of any Cubs player you know in history and then it's nice of course you go to Cincinnati Ian Happ apparently he always goes off there like we've seen yeah. it over the years played college there obviously um it's he's been great but I I like to see you know a guy who struggled the first couple of games but you know the last couple of games in Cincinnati Cody Bellinger's turned yeah. it around a little like you know all us Cubs fans are hearing about Jason Hayward over there hitting back-to-back home runs but Cody Bellinger the last two days has, has Performed pretty well himself, so hopefully we can get a little bit decent out of that trade right there. There's no ballpark quite like the Great American Ballpark to get a struggling hitter jump-started, and hopefully he brings that bat to Wrigley with him. 
it, it was great. A very satisfying first home run for Bellinger as a Cub. Just a towering shot out there to a mostly empty right field in Cincinnati. Um, I, what do you guys think about the belly bomb phrase? I'm not big on it. And I saw Boog said it on that first home run. I'm not a fan of the belly bomb name. You, you know, uh, I don't know that I love it, but I also don't know that I have anything better. I mean, his short nickname is Belly and he hits bombs. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure collectively as a hive mind, we will workshop it and see what we come up with. But at the moment, I don't have anything better, actually. I'm, I'm all right with it. Boog said it, and I was like, huh, belly bomb. And I am I think I might use that a little bit in the future. Uh, the Cody Bellinger, the belly bomb. Uh, I don't know what Joe Davis was calling it when he was over there in Los Angeles. But, you know, that ball was hit well. Like, you know, you know, at the moment he hit it, that ball had a chance and it was definitely gone. Um, so, I, yeah, it was nice. And then he really broke out the next day when the entire Cubs offense broke out, where that final game in Cincinnati, like, you were going probably the first six innings. Like the Cubs are hitting some balls really hard and they're all out. They're just, they just couldn't break through. And then they finally did. I think I, I remember looking at the box score and they had something like 19 hard hit balls that day, which are balls wow. over 95 miles per hour uh, exit velocity. And like a lot of them, they were, they were just crushing it the whole day. And it finally, it finally break through. Once you hit enough hard hit balls, you're going to break through over time. And they did. And it was nice to see Cody Bellinger at the forefront of that. You know, something else that has been good this opening week, Keegan Thompson looks great in the bullpen. It's been fun watching him pitch. Uh, what else has kind of caught your attention on the positive side here? Again, the Cubs sitting at two and three here going into coming back to Wrigley Field. Well, following Marcus Stroman's excellent opening day start, Justin Steele followed that up just as well. He was uh, struggling with the command a little bit early in that game, but even with that, he settled down. He still pitched six shutout innings. He still struck out eight. That was fun to watch from the left field corner there is Justin Steele, again, putting on a great show. So, uh, again, if you can have a good one-two, at least that's entertaining pitching two days out of five. That's not necessarily what you're looking yeah. for as far as a, a competitive rotation. But uh, Justin Steele impressed me, and it was a very cold day. It was very windy. It was damp. It was actually snowing briefly at Wrigley Field that day. Um, but he still went out there. He still turned in a really good start. Uh, and so that's something you'd like to see him keep up from start to start. And all offseason, we've talked about how Justin Steele, this is his year to really break out. And he had a great first start. Yeah, he was great. And I, I thought Adbert has pitched pretty well so far. It's unfortunate that the one game he got in, he was they were down six runs. But I, I, I like him coming out of the bullpen. I, th I think he's been you know, pretty solid so far this season. And I, I think he could be a weapon that David Ross can use. And hopefully David Ross can get him into more, you know, high leverage situations. And obviously when the Cubs are trailing by six, um, but I, I thought he has pitched pretty well coming out of the bullpen. And, and I think he's a nice look to come out of there. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about that since he has started pitching out of the bullpen, the stuff plays up in the bullpen, the velocity plays up. He's got a great cutter that he uses to good effect. Uh, the, his struggles in the past against left-handed batters aren't quite as pronounced when he's coming out of the bullpen, because of course you can use him in better situations as the lineup dictates. So I think we're going to see him become that real weapon out of the bullpen. So far, that's what he showed us. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, what about the other side of things? Things we've talked about David Ross, maybe not having his best week. We mentioned the bad start from Tyone. Drew Smiley wasn't very good either the other day. But what from this first week has been troubling or off-putting to you? I mentioned also Hosmer in the outfield. Or, I'm sorry, not Hosmer in the outfield. Ooh, Mancini ooh. in the outfield. We don't need that. Trust no. me, we don't need that. Uh, but Randall, you got your hand in the air. What has maybe been grinding you a bit here week one? Yeah, I don't think any of this is a surprise. But after you get out of that top three, maybe top four in the lineup, 
it drops off pretty steeply. And when you get to a seven, eight, nine of Master Boney and Tucker Barnhart, and uh, yeah, you can put you can put Hosmer in that category a lot of the time too. It just gets real dark real fast. And I think we knew that nobody's got a great bottom of the lineup because if you're Bottom of the lineup hitters were great. They'd be hitting higher. Nobody's got a great bottom of the lineup, but it's it's a very steep drop-off for the Cubs. And it does feel sometimes like it's only one inning out of every three that they have any chance of scoring when your, your top two, top three hitters are up. So that's been a little disheartening. Like we knew the bottom of the lineup was going to be rough with this roster. I don't know that we knew how rough. Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, Randall is uh, uh, going after the – the low hanging fruit there, but uh, I, me, I want to focus on a little bit. I still want to focus on David Ross. Like I, I, I just can't get over that Patrick wisdom bunt. I, I still don't get it. Like, I don't understand it. If Patrick, if he, he did get, he did take the fastball off the wrist earlier in the game. So you're thinking maybe he was hurt, but if he's hurt, why is he in the game? Why are you yeah. allowing him to take that that at bat like you have a guy who's kind of on the bench who i thought would have been perfect in that situation when you need contact you have whatever nick magical that like that's a situation you have nick magical in and you went you you had hosmer or excuse me you had wisdom and then you went with two lefties behind that i thought magical should have been in the game there at some point and it just doesn't make sense like wisdom's a power guy not only was it, it that it was a bunt it was it was on a three one count like it was a, and it wasn't even like a it probably would have been ball four had he not tried to bunt at it. So in, in great American ballpark and notorious, you know, offensive environment. So I, I just, it really frustrated me. It was one thing was like, that doesn't make any sense. I hope somebody talked to him uh, in the organization about that, because it was just something that we, if the Cubs want to compete, like that can't be a situation there. You can't have Patrick wisdom lay down that bunt. So that was something that out of everything, that first week, that kind of made me, the angriest because like that was a thing that was a decision by the manager you know give or take i don't really try to take too much out of like starters performances that first week because it, it's kind of you know they'll all settle down whatever then we'll see what it is but like a decision by the manager like that that really kind of threw me and i was not too happy about that you, you could see it. it you could see it coming as soon as that 3-0 pitch was called a strike it wasn't really a strike it was borderline and of course the umpire We'll always call that 3-0 auto strike if it's anywhere close. As soon as it got to 3-1, I said, oh, no, here it comes because he's going to swing through the next pitch or he's going to bunt at the next pitch and something's going to go terribly wrong. As soon as it got to 3-1, I said, this is this is bad. And sure yeah. enough, on the very next pitch, he bunts, bunts into a line out and it all goes south from there. Jeremy, you covered most of it. If he was too hurt to swing the bat, he shouldn't have been in the game. And if he is not too hurt to swing the bat, if he's capable of swinging the bat, he shouldn't be bunting there. The, the, the game, the game hinged on that. The game you lost by one. It was just the sort of hair pulling moment. You wish you'd get two or three weeks into the season before having a moment like that. Instead, it was in game number four of the season. Again, early season, you know, if the Cubs go on to have a better season than we're expecting, or even a decent season. Nobody's going to remember Bunt on April 4th or April, I'm sorry, April 3rd. But it was one of the things that just makes you want to tear your hair out earlier in the season. Yeah, well, I just want to... I don't have hair, so I yeah, can't right. pull my hair out. Randall, you got a nice head of hair. Jeremy's got the long locks of hair, so I'm not pulling my hair out, and I'm not going to mess with the beard here. That hair is uh, untouched. Yeah. But what were you saying, Jeremy? Uh, I just want to point out that, you know, he ripped a single, like, and then his next at bat after that, and then he's had... So far this season, he's been 
pretty solid like early on obviously it's early season you compare him to what he did last year when he was striking out like every other at bat and he had maybe one hit in like the first two weeks and everybody wanted him gone off the team he's been a huge part of so far this of the cubs offense so far this year he's bring some homers whatever so it just doesn't make like why do you have him bunt in a 3-1 count in great american ballpark you have two runners on it just i just it was just so frustrating to me I think you're right. I think you're right to be frustrated by that. But an interesting observation that I pulled from that, certainly among the fan base, but even more so amongst the media that covers the Cubs, I can't think of a single moment that received more criticism since David Ross has come to town than that decision with with wisdom. Like, you're going to get people bitching on Twitter. That comes with the territory. But the Chicago press, the guys that are covering the team, every, the guys and gals that are covering the team every single day, they were pretty pointed about that moment as well. And I don't recall that happening to that degree in the last four years he's been around. Yeah, I agree. I think there's something to it, you know, where the team, I'm not that there's a huge amount of expectations about this team, but I think they have a little more expectations than they had last year. And, you know, they've talked about having some expectations this year. So I think like, okay, if you want to have expectations, then you try, you have to try to win ball games and you have to do what is best to win ball games and make those decisions. And so I, it was just such a fundamental, like, it just didn't make any sense on any level. And then his explanation for it, I, I couldn't get through it. I was like, I, I don't understand it. So um, I, I, I just think it was a moment that, you know, this is the time. At some point, the Cubs have to be ready to win. And at some point, your manager has to be a part of that. And so I, I think it makes sense to eventually you have to start judging David Ross on David Ross as a manager if you want to know if he's going to be the guy for the future. So I, I do think there's something to it. I think people do need to be more pointed in the media on, on those type of decisions. Yeah. What was Ross's explanation or what, how did he defend it? It was just, I, it was tough. I, I, I don't remember going through all, but I just remember reading it and just thinking like, I, I couldn't really follow it. That's why I can't really explain it. Like it was, it was tough for me to follow. So I, I, I just kind of, you know, been like, okay, whatever. And just ignored it. But his explanation, I, I don't remember it sticking with me. The, the gist of it, he didn't really have an explanation. Right. It was he said, of... he said, one of the things he said was Patrick Wisdom is a great bunter. Okay. Uh, to whatever extent that's true, which I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think of Patrick Wisdom as a great bunter. To, to whatever extent that's true, why are you having him bunt in that spot? I mean, I guess if you have the runner on second, you want to get him over runner on first. You want to get him over maybe in that spot. What exactly is the bunt going to do? The bases are loaded. You're trying yeah. to squeeze with Patrick wisdom. You're you're doing the wrong thing with the wrong player. And he said the wrist was you know a, yeah, a little bit of a factor. He said the wrist was a little bit of a factor, which again, raises the question of if the wrist was that much of a factor, why is he taking the at bat? And yeah, it, the explanation was more of a non-explanation. He took full responsibility for it. He said, that's on me. Uh, you know, I made the wrong decision there, which is fine. But the explanation, such as it was, was not really much of an explanation. Yeah, he basically just said, like, well, I wasn't sure about his wrist. And I thought it would be good to get the guy over the third. So I had him bind. But it was like, okay, but the, the, your Patrick Wisdom and the situation. He did mention that Patrick, as Randall said, Patrick Wisdom is one of our better bunters. But Patrick Wisdom is a button game. So yeah. I guess the only time we would know that is he probably knows it from spring training or something. But it's just this guy who's just hit. He's been hit two home runs the other day. So why are you letting Patrick Wisdom punt? Yeah, yeah, not a good look there. The Cubs split down the range shortened series there in Cincinnati. So two and three, the first five games of the season. I am 15 days away from my first trip to Wrigley Field. I'll be out there Friday, April 21st. Cubs Dodgers. It's going to be great. 
you two have both been to Wrigley Field. Jeremy was out there for opening day. Randall, unfortunately, you got the first L of the season. But you guys know how I am. I'm very anal about the ballpark. I'm very particular about the ballpark experience. Tell me what is new or what caught your attention this year that's different about the experience of going to a Cubs game in 2023. Something I did experience for the first time is actually being able to navigate from the bleachers into the uh, the primary seating area, which is not new, but it's actually the first time I've done it. And, you know, there's a way to do it. I'm like, oh, that's convenient. You don't have to limit yourself solely to what's uh, available in the bleachers. That's not necessarily new, but it is the first time I've made that short transit and back. Was that for meeting folks or was that for food or drink options that maybe weren't available in the bleachers? For food or drink options that weren't necessarily available in the bleachers. Go find a, a few more options that, uh, again, the plays area of seating, it's all the way in the left field corner. In the very front row of the left field corner, it is slightly faster at times to go down into the third base, or I guess down to the left field third base corner under the seats versus to go all the way to the back of the bleachers where the, the main food options are. Yeah, interesting. Jeremy, what uh, about you? You got the opening day W. Yeah, and before I answer that, I do want to have two questions for Randall. One, did you know Hot Dogs? You could have just gone to Hot Dogs, man. And two, did you see the Cubs Wall of Fame, I guess? What did you think of that? You know, I was not under the bleachers at all, um, but I have seen I have seen the Wall of Fame. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not much of a Wall of Fame. It's some plaques on a vault. I know we've talked at length about how we hope it's something the Cubs do a little more with at some point, but I did not spend a whole lot of time uh, under the bleachers, I was out there in the, the cold. It actually was not especially, it was not as cold as I was expecting. And part of the fact is, part of that is because this seating area, it's uh, it's kind of like a trench. You are basically below, out of the wind. The only part of you that's uh, sticking up is your head, like a bunch of prairie dogs looking over the bleacher wall. Uh, so it was actually warmer than I expected, which was nice. You don't end up uh, warmer than you expect in an early ga- early season game at Wrigley all that often. Um, but again, we've I've seen the Wall of Fame. We've talked at length. Uh, it's something right. you hope they do more with at some point. Yeah, yeah. you you said you hadn't Wait. really been out there, so I thought maybe I, I wasn't sure if you had seen it yet. Uh, for me, you know, the first thing, obviously, is you get off the red line, as I take the red line, uh, and you're presented with, you know, that huge new building that's right there, the DraftKings, you know, sports book, whatever, that's going to be there. And it, it's, it's a little awkward there because it's all glass and it's like steel and it kind of looks like it's blending into the ballpark, but then it also kind of looks more modern and not really quite with the ballpark. So it's very kind of awkward. There's obviously a lot less room over there. Um, so that's like the one thing that like really stood out to me when I first came out there and I, I'd seen it before. It's not like I hadn't seen it before, but it's, it's more put together now, obviously. And it's supposed to open, I think by June, I think in June it's supposed to open, but that's like one thing that's like, okay, this is, it's a very different feel and look when you get off of the, uh, red line, obviously the captain Morgan's club didn't really do anything for me. It wasn't really that special. I don't mind it being gone, but you know, it's it's kind of it's different because now you're presenting this big glass building, kind of. Yeah, it's kind of like a black hole. It just mm-hmm. kind of absorbs all the light uh, from that corner of Wrigley. I don't much care for it. I don't much have a use for it. But like Jeremy said, it's this big green steel beam structure with dark glass. I don't know how it's going to look once it's like open. If you know, if it's if it's going to look lit up from inside, if you're going to be able to see inside. Maybe that'll help a little bit. But like Jeremy said, right now, it's just kind of this black hole of a structure taking up a corner of Wrigley. 
you know, I, I was hoping with the renderings that the glass panels on the side would open so that it almost had like an airy feel to it. But I don't see any indication that that's going to be the case there. I think it's going to be closed in. And you know how casinos look from the outside. There's a reason they don't have big windows. They don't want people in casinos to know what time of day it is outside. That to me is a bit of a miss there because it does seem sort of like a, a fixed structure when the rest of the ballpark has sort of got that open air or at least the airy feel to the concourse. Yeah, and the one thing about that too is like, it, it's, I, you know, I would, I would, there's nothing going to really be outside of it. Right. Cause it's not going to have like, like, you know, seating or anything outside. So it's kind of like, it's all inside. So everything, it's just going to be, maybe there'll be people, maybe when it's open, it'll have more of an atmosphere to it, but it doesn't really look like it's going to have much of an atmosphere to it. It just looks like you're going to get off the red line or walk right. And it's just gonna be a big building that can only really be accessed from the outside. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you, I don't know if you can get in there from the ballpark because anybody, yeah, you can't. You can get on the roof, which is outdoor terrace type area for upper deck folks or lower deck folks that want to go out there. It's going to be concessions and things up there, but no, they do not want people entering the casino from inside the ballpark. You got to leave your tick. You got to leave the ballpark in order to get into the casino. Right. And maybe that, maybe the roof will provide a little bit more of an atmosphere in the summer that like there'll be people up there and you could feel that uh, kind of ambience when you get out there. Cause right now when you get out there and there's nothing there, there's not, you know, they obviously they moved the statues uh, that used to be over there. So like, and it's a lot less, you know, square footage that you can roam over there and walk. So it kind of really took away from like, that was kind of a meeting area right off the red line. And that's kind of not really there anymore. Not that like, I really miss it that much, but uh, it'll be interesting, but yeah, and and I believe anybody can go in there. Uh, I don't believe you need a ticket to uh, go to the ball game to go in there. I think it's just open to anybody. So that's yeah. part of the reason oh, why you can only not get anybody. In from the other. Well, you got to be twenty-one. Yes, I, I meant <laughs> any person who's of age. But families go to the ballpark. You know, they're not yeah. going to be able to get in there to check it out. Right. That's right. true. That is correct. Well, uh, from a distance here, seeing you guys, you know, jealous. Here in Denver, watching you guys go to a ball game. My first ball game is going to be tomorrow night. Uh, not all that exciting, Rockies Nationals, but more on that in a little bit. Uh, two drinks appear to be very, very popular at Wrigley Field right now, and I wanted to get your thoughts on both of them. And I'll start with your favorite, Jeremy. How satisfying was it, your first ever Coca-Cola in Wrigley Field? Uh, it was very satisfying. I was very, very excited about it. I was very happy to see it there. I love drinking it. Uh, I, I told anybody who uh, would listen to me, I said, you know what? I told everybody I did something for the first time I've ever done in my life. Uh, well, I, and it, what it was, was it was, I said, I purchased a Coke at Wrigley Field and I drank it and it was fantastic. And I'd never done that before ever in my lifetime, uh, purchasing a Coke at Wrigley Field. So uh, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Natural follow-up. What was the mode of consumption? Plastic? Was it the cup, cans? How did you take it down? Well, there were multiple mode of consumptions. Uh, there was the pregame, the early first getting in there. I did get a Jack and Coke uh, early on, and then afterwards I went back to that little area behind uh, the upper deck and I got myself an Italian sausage with the uh, plastic Diet Coke, which is all that they serve over there. So okay. that's what I got. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Exactly. What do you have, Randall? Uh, yeah, I was able to do the same. The uh, area I was in had uh, the, the seats came with unlimited drinks to a certain degree and came with uh, two drink tickets, one of which I did use on a drink run. And I feel like you would approve of 
Oh. It was a black cherry Jim Beam and Coke. Wow. In wow. One, of those, one of those real nice, it was a, I'd say Mason jars, plastic, obviously it's Wrigley. Um, but yeah, that uh, that went down real good. That will help warm things up a little bit on a, a chilly day at Wrigley. I, I, got, I ordered that drink and I said, you know what? Ronan might approve of this. He might oh, also absolutely. not approve of this and I'm drinking it anyway, but he might approve of it. And that's what, what I, I think of. That's what I think of all the time. WWRD. What would Ronan do? Did it come in a can? Well, like no, a it, drink or no? No, it was a a cocktail that was made I see. at the drink kiosk and then uh, poured very nicely into a, a plastic jar for me with ice. I see. I see. Well, I'm curious about the seating area. I know you're in the left field corner. Um, is it fixed seats out there? Is it bench? No, it is. It is, it is uh, stools. You are in what again? What is basically a trench? You're you're in the Death Star trench. If you look left and look right, you, you know you're making your attack run. Um, you are in the very front row of the bleacher area. You have normal general admission bleacher seating right behind you, but you are otherwise in the very front row. You can, again, you can poke your head up and see wow. out onto the field. If you're shorter, you uh, you have a few issues there. But if you're normal height, you can uh, you stick your head up and you can see most of the field. You can't see right below you, obviously. Um, but yeah, you're in the very front row. Uh, there's no fixed seats in there. There's uh, stools provided so you can sit or stand as is your custom. Is that something you just buy on cubs.com or were you, you invited? Like, how'd you manage those seats? I've never I heard was, of you. I was invited as part of a group. It is a, a so-called premium seating area. The historic, historic Hornitas Hacienda uh, established 2017. So, you know, it's got a rich history behind it. Uh, but no, it is a, a premium group seating area. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be invited. That's awesome. Sounds fun. Uh, the other popular drink, beer bats. What do we think? You know, I, I saw the birth of a new species in the bleachers that day. We already have the cup snake. I witnessed the birth of the beer bat snake, which is multiple beer bats inserted end to end. And they meet the same fate as the cup snakes where the, the ushers come down and they say, no, 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 you can't do that. Um, I did not partake of one in part because I had really everything I needed as far as drinking wise. Um, but people seem to be enjoying them. I'm a little worried that they're going to be used as bludgeons in a, a bleacher fight or a seat fight at some point. But uh, I don't personally have an issue with them. We'll, we'll see how they uh, we'll, we'll see how they propagate um, as far as the season goes. Definitely saw the beer bats. Uh they didn't really make that much of an impression on me. I, I think I saw them and I was like, ah, we're right, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just one of all the different types of, you know, drunky, uh, you know, different ways to get, uh, to drink, excuse me. And so I, I don't know. It just, it was just, it just was, it was obviously probably something I would never do, but, uh, I didn't really make much of it. Well, if people don't know what we're talking about, 26 ounce plastic bat shaped drinking <laughs> consumptions, you get your own beer, you put in it. Either of you catch the price. You know, I didn't. I meant to go check it out just to see what the options were. If you pick your beer or whatever, uh, I did not go catch a price. I, I did not either. Wow. $30. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Which, you know, you're getting more than two cans of beer, so you start to do the math on that, and it's ballpark prices. But I'm looking at this from afar. I'll be out at Wrigley here in two weeks, and uh, maybe we'll see about the beer batter. That's not my preferred approach going into the game but what i was thinking watching people celebrating the beer bats and seeing people consuming it over the last couple of days i actually think that's a very inconvenient way to consume alcohol at a sporting event one it's big 
right? Um, two, you've got to hold on to it. That thing's not going to fit in a cup holder. It's not going to stay upright. I enjoy clapping at the ballpark. So if I've got my hand on this giant two-foot plastic beer bat, that's one hand that's out of the equation cheering for Nico or Bellinger or Eric Hosmer. God forbid he gets a home run when I'm at Wrigley Field. So both of those sort of, to me, were like, ah, oh, this doesn't seem like the best way to consume beer. And then while this wouldn't have been the case opening weekend, but as we get into the regular season, that beer is going to warm up, right? If it's sitting out there exposed to the air, it's going to get hot quicker. And now you've got a lukewarm beer taking up a ton of real estate in front of you. For me, not what I'm looking for at the ballpark, but it did seem very popular over the weekend. Yeah, you know, it's very much a novelty item. Um, the, the an excellent point. The thing's not going to stand up on its own. It's not going to fit in the cup holder. And, you know, if you if you need to applaud, you're going to have to figure out the sound of one hand clapping, uh, which good place to find that out is Wrigley Field, I guess. Yeah, again, it's more of a novelty item. It's not something I ever see myself probably going in for. But uh, if enough people like it, they'll keep selling it. One thing, though, that I will celebrate with the beer bats and why at some point I'm going to have to get one of them just to have it, experience it, bring it home. The ability to torment Randall from multiple seats away now, because now I've got this extension that I can poke and prod and just really make sure Randall's uncomfortable when we're at the ballpark. You're more than welcome to do that if you want to see me take it away from you and bludgeon you with it or take it to the nearest garbage can, deposit it in there. You're more than welcome to try, Ronan, but I don't especially recommend it. Just feels inevitable, Randall, that uh, there will come a point here where you and I are at the ballpark and I'm irritating the crap out of you with those plastic beer bats. The only solution might be to get my own, get rid of the beer, and then I can fend you off with that like Obi-Wan and Darth Vader aboard the Death Star. Strike me down and I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. (laughs) Randall, I, I, if I didn't hear you say this, my bad. I maybe I zoned out here. Food-wise, what'd you do at Wrigley? Food-wise, so the the unlimited food options. It's not unlimited food. It's unlimited light snacks. They will give you all of the song lyrics you want, all the peanuts, cracker jacks, and if you want to change it up a little bit, they'll give you potato chips too. So otherwise, I did normal food things. I got a dog. I got a Polish. I got a burger. Um, I did have some cracker jacks in there because if you're going to give me the cracker jacks, I'm going to eat them. Uh, but yeah, that is that is what I did for food on Saturday. There you go. Uh, I'm I'm impressed that you uh, went. And you got that. You used that drink ticket. What did you use the other drink ticket on? Or did you not? So there were two one? drink tickets. One right. of them was on a uh, a mule, like a Ooh, like man. a yeah, yeah to start <laughs> Ooh, the to start the day. The second one was used on the second one was used on the uh, 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 Jim Beam Black Cherry and Coke. And then there were um, there were unlimited drinks the rest of the way. Uh, the unlimited beer was only Bud Light, and I'm not about that life. But they were willing to give you unlimited mm-hmm. uh, wine at the ballpark. And you know what? I said, I'm not going to drink the beer, but I'm going to get my money's worth. So there I was sitting there drinking wine in the bleachers. So I'll check that off the bucket <laughs> list, too. Wow. Randall on unlimited wine. I, I, I'm i shocked. <laughs> like he had a mule. He had the Jim Bean. He had wine. I got uh, a, a lovely new addition to the collection of uh, saved Cubs drinkware residing in my cabinet now. That's cool. wow. Wow. But he's not he's following the Kid Rock path and getting off the Bud Light, huh? So yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm not about that life. Uh, Cubs. 
come back home now. Six-game homestand, three games this weekend against Texas, Seattle, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. What's notable about that, other than it's two American League West opponents, two teams that should be pretty good this year, Monday and Tuesday night, the first night games of the year at Wrigley Field. And here's something I'm very curious about going into the first night game. It will be our first look at the newly installed LED lights at Wrigley Field. So brand new lighting. I saw Boston, the Red Sox had new lights to put in. It is a complete difference in the brightness when you're watching that game on TV. So how's Wrigley going to look under these new lights? I'm curious to see how that plays out Monday and Tuesday. Uh, three words, three words come to mind. Resplendent, beautiful, and historic. And if you need a fourth word, well illuminated. That's hyphenated. I don't know if that's a fourth and a fifth word or just a fourth word, but I'm sure it will look well illuminated on that uh, wonderful marquee broadcast. Well, here's something I'm worried about with the new lights. This trend of a guy hits a home run and the lights in the ballpark are flashing on and off. It is really taken off. It seems that everywhere is doing it. Every game that I've watched this year so far at night where a home run's been hit, those lights have done it. As far as I know, the Cubs haven't said anything yet about their intentions. Please, Crane Kenny, Tom Ricketts, do not do the flashing lights at Wrigley Field. I don't want it. Yeah, the, the Brewers are doing it, but that's because the Brewers are a Mickey Mouse organization at heart. The Dodgers are not just doing it. The Dodgers are turning off the lights in the ballpark completely for certain big moments and breaks in the action, like pitching changes or between innings. They're turning the lights off completely. You know, it seems like another way to something new that you can commoditize into a gimmick. And the, the fewer gimmicks you have at the ballpark, generally the happier I am. That's why I don't like Chase Field, because it is one giant warehouse of gimmicks. It's like Bob Brenly's gimmick warehouse off I-90, whatever, out there in Arizona. So I'm, I'm with you. I hope the Cubs don't do that. Um, you know, I hope Clark's not standing there by the light switch ready to flip it on and off if one of the Cubs homers Monday night or Tuesday night, but we'll find out. Hopefully the Cubs can hit some home runs yeah. Monday night or Tuesday night and, and we can find out. Yeah, I was going to mention the the Dodgers, you know, they're turning everything off. But uh, one other thing that you brought up, Randall, that just popped in my head where you're talking about, you know, you can commoditize anything. Uh, I, I, I believe I saw today that Major League Baseball was looking into selling some advertising rights for the pitch clock. Yes, sponsoring the pitch clocks. Completely ridiculous. But, you know, you can sell whatever you can, right? So uh, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the lights affect. But, you know, that's something like you couldn't do just a few years ago because it would take so long for the lights oh. to fire up <laughs> and to come back on. Now you can just turn the switch and they're on and off. What's your preference, though? Do you want the Cubs to have it or not? No, I don't. I want the – I'm, I'm good with the whoop there it is and all that other stuff. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't need uh, the lights flashing, and I no, hope. Give me, give know, me some music. Give me some music to react along with for the home run. You don't need to flash the lights. I'm good with and that. I, and hopefully, it, we don't end up with like colored lights at some point. That would that would really suck. Yeah. And it's far more than just Milwaukee and Los Angeles. Yankee Stadium is doing it. They've been doing it for a couple of years. But Boston has now introduced it to their ballpark. So I I hope the Cubs don't do it. I. You know, if they wanted to do it for when the closer comes in and you're doing that intro thing, that's maybe the one exception that I would give them. My preference would be they don't do it at all, but doing it after home run seems or it's just absurd to me and it's jarring on TV. And then also, I'm a man of the people. There's a lot of folks that have difficulty with strobing lights and things like that, and I think it makes them uncomfortable as well. So we don't need that at the friendly confines, in my opinion. Nope, nope. all good, all good. Here's something I saw today that apparently has been going on for a couple of years. I wasn't aware of this. After every strikeout an Atlanta Braves pitcher throws in the new ballpark there, they launch fireworks, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the fourth inning. 
Ugh. Strider strikes out a batter. They're launching fireworks. I go on Twitter because I'm like, did I just see that right? I typed in Atlanta Braves fireworks. Like for the last decade, they've been doing this in Atlanta. I had no idea. That is complete overkill. It's like you're losing 17 to 5 in the eighth inning. You strike out an opposing pitcher like back in the days when pitchers were batting and you're launching fireworks. That's actually a thing they're doing in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go back to the well here uh, one more time. We got Obi-Wan so uncivilized. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't need that. I don't even necessarily need a musical sting after a strikeout, but uh, that's small and quick. I definitely do not need fireworks. I don't really need fireworks at any point in the ballpark. And I do find it silly when teams shoot off fireworks for a home run in part because of that situation you mentioned. If you're down big or you're up big and somebody hits a meaningless home run, you're going to shut off fireworks. You're going to have a mascot slide down a slide, not to name names or anything. I don't really need any of that. I did not know that the Braves showed off fireworks for every strikeout. Every I guess that's strikeout. the kind of I guess that's the kind of thing you can do when your ballpark is just surrounded by office parks. You're not going to get any noise complaints from the neighbors because you have no neighbors. I don't need that. I'm glad the Cubs don't do that. Uh, I would just love to see some of the overzealous neighborhood individuals if the Cubs were to do something like that for every strikeout. I'm glad the Cubs don't do that. I don't need it. I don't require it. I don't want it. I didn't know that either. I, I, you, you're informing me. I, I learned that just now with what you're telling me. I, I didn't realize that, but uh, yeah, that's definitely overkill, especially in, in today's day and age with how many strikeouts are in a baseball yeah. game. It's a, it's a little mud, but uh, you know, I don't mind the, the fireworks of the ballpark. Uh, Randall, they're taking some shots at the South side, but uh, you know what, especially if you're up, like I like it when, you know, you hit a home run, you're up 19 to five, you know, you hit a home run. So what? Uh, I, I, I enjoy it. I, I think, you know, I mean, it's good for them. I don't know if I would want it at Wrigley, obviously, but, uh, every ballpark, I like each ballpark to have a little bit of character, but I yeah. think for a strikeout, that's just, you know, if you're going to do it like 15 times in a game, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Overkill. And if you don't believe me, yeah. Hop on Twitter, just type in Atlanta Braves fireworks, uh, throw strikeout on there. And you're going to see literally going back a decade, people going, I can't believe the Braves launch fireworks for every strikeout. Their pitchers throw in a ball game. Um, one other change at Wrigley Field I noticed just from afar, uh, Cubs Domino Falls here, one of the last teams to hold out. They have now painted on the advertising on the mound and the pitcher's mound. We saw that during the pandemic. It went away at Wrigley Field, and now it's been firmly entrenched. So every inch of that ballpark, quite literally getting covered in ads, now it is on the pitcher's mound at the heart of Wrigley Field. Well, the one thing the Cubs don't have yet is a uh, an ad patch on the sleeves. Something they have removed, Ronan, and this this I think will 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 impact you. They have removed the National League logo from the blue alternates. They no longer wear the NL logo on the sleeve of their blue alternate jerseys, and that's probably because they're clearing room for an ad patch at some point. But when you see the Cubs take the field on the road wearing those those beloved blue tops, they are no longer wearing the the starred eagle shield of the National League on that sleeve. And that's something I always thought was very novel, something I mm -hmm. kind of first noticed as Zambrano came to prominence. And of course, he was always a blue jersey guy. It was it was unique and it's gone now. Yeah, uh, that is tough. And it is certainly to make way for that new ad that is coming uh, maybe mid-season or something. We're going to find out what that is for the Cubs and Portillo's. That will be rolled out here. Ah, it's not going to be Portillo's. It should Old be Portillo's. Style. That would Old be style. Oh, did it should be, you, but that's not going to work. Did either of you see the Mets one? Because that one is it's awful. Ugly. If, it's if ugly. It doesn't fit the jersey at all. What, what you, Cubs... Explain it. No. Yes, so yeah. if, our, if our listeners have not seen this, I actually just saw the photo, and I'm going to bring it up right in front of me so I can describe it to you in excruciating detail. Uh, the Mets, to their jersey, of course, they're – 
home blue pinstripe jersey. Uh, they have added to the sleeve an ad for New York Presbyterian Hospital, which I don't know why a hospital needs to advertise, but you know I'm I'm not paid to think about these things. And the ad patch is simply a flat white square with a red border around it, and then the red wordmark logo of the hospital in the middle, and it just clashes horribly with the, mm. the jersey. It's a, it's a white patch with you know there's no pinstripes on it. It's just a flat white field. It's outlined in red. It's got red text on it. It just looks so horribly out of place on the Mets blue and orange jersey. And blue and orange is a good color scheme. It's a shame that the Mets and the Knicks are the flag carriers. Uh, two two again joke organizations are the flag carriers for that color scheme. It just looks so horribly out of place. The Bears and the well, no, the Bears use navy and orange, Jeremy. There's a well, very big difference. Blue, it's blue. <laughs> the, the different shade of blue. I My mean, point based is, off of the University of Illinois, where George Halas went. That's why, I which is and also orange. navy and orange. I'm, why am I telling the Illini fan what the color scheme is? It blue. feels like I'm. Anyway, it just looks horribly out of place, and I don't think there's been any ad patch that fits because I don't think there is an ad patch that fits well, a jersey, but it yeah, just looks terribly out of place. I look. I'm with you. I'm not a fan of ads on jerseys but i think maybe the least most offensive one or the least offensive one i've seen uh has probably been san diego just because that that logo i think it's um motorola what's the company motorola, motorola. Yeah. yeah it's sort of a clean logo itself there's not a lot to it there's not a big color scheme to it so that was one i was watching the Padres the other day going okay don't like any of them but at least that one's not too offensive yeah, it's not the New York one. The Mets one is just because it's it's on, as Randall said, the pinstripe shoulder, the blue pinstripes. And you have this giant square patch with this huge the white size of a new base, basically. Yeah, exactly. With this huge white background outlined in red, it just horribly clashes. And if the Cubs do end up, which I assume they will, I mean, Taylor did she, when she talked about the story of them removing the National League uh, patch, which sucks in my opinion she did say that they're preparing she didn't say that they have something in place but it's to prepare for the uh possibility and future inevitability probably of of having a patch um their uh you know uh sponsorship but hopefully they do get something that can kind of blend in with the uniform i, I it'll probably clash it a little bit but you know they've done i thought for the most part when you talk look at wrigley field a lot of things they do, have done have kind of blend blended into the ballpark like the the jumbotrons like they don't look out of place necessarily they are out of place but they don't necessarily look out of place um they look like they've been there almost for a while kind of fit in feel in so hopefully with the patch like the cubs get something like that the Mets ones are just awful we'll see what happens with the cubs there with regards to that so three at home at texas then seattle comes in Weather has been a problem first week of the year. What can we expect at Wrigley Field this weekend, Randall? Well, it is my honor, as always, to present the forecast for these next two series provided to us by Alexander Hall. Find him on Twitter, at Alexander Hall. And, of course, find Cubs Weather on Twitter, at Cubs Weather. Alexander describes the vibe for the Rangers series as crisp but chilly, sunny dazzlers. And I'm quoting here, day games that Randall Sanders would tolerate. Alexander clearly has a... Uh, a knowledge of what I look for in my ballpark weather. And he is uh, right on the money, judging by these forecasts. Uh, Friday, by the time you're listening to this, uh, a 120 forecast, or I'm sorry, 121st pitch, it will be sunny. The temperatures will be in the low 40s, and there will be a light wind in from right field. Saturday, the atypical uh, 3.05 p.m. start at Wrigley. It will again be sunny. 
Temperatures will be in the low 50s and winds will be light and variable depending on the lake breeze. And then Sunday, the classic 120 start, it will again be sunny. Temperatures will be in the mid 50s, winds again light and variable. So this weekend, if you've got the time and the means, it sounds like a great time to get yourself out of Wrigley. And the vibe with the Mariners in, uh, the Dazzler Parade continues. Calm seas are always good when you have Mariners in. Monday night, a 640 start, of course, the first night home game of the year. Uh, skies will be cloudy, but it will be dry. Temperatures in the upper 50s with the winds light out to the left field corner. Tuesday night, another 640 start. It will be clear skies with temperatures in the lower 60s, which you, you don't get at night in uh, mid-April all that often. Winds light and variable. And then finally, the conclusion of the Mariner series, Wednesday at 120, clear skies, temperatures in the lower 60s, and light and variable winds. And so that is this week's Cubs forecast brought to you by Cubs Weather. Be sure to follow at Cubs Weather on Twitter and be sure to follow Alexander, Andrew, and Colin, the three wonderful individuals who operate Cubs Weather. All wonderful follows in addition to Cubs Weather. Uh, we had some uh, severe weather pass through the Chicago area a couple times in the past week and Cubs Weather does not just do Cubs Weather. He also provides you up to the minute uh, updates on severe weather affecting the Chicago mm -hmm. area. So a great follow for all seasons and all occasions. Yeah, well said there, Randall. Uh, great work from them, especially this time of the year with severe weather. Let's keep it dry, right? It's hard enough. There's so many off days at this time of the year, scheduled off days after home openers and things like that. I don't like the back-to-back -back off days when we get rain out. So let's keep it dry. Let's get some games going. Let's get some momentum going here with the big league team. Hopefully the Cubs can wrap up this homestand over 500 and see where that goes. The next month and a half, really tough stretch of baseball for the Cubs, playing a lot of competitive teams. So we'll have a lot to talk about over the next few weeks. A quick look at the minor leagues here. Great news for Cubs fan. Longtime minor league columnist and journalist Jim Callis of MLB.com listed AA Tennessee as one of the 10 most talented minor league rosters here going into the 2023 season. And while AAA baseball has already started, the rest of the minors really opening up and getting going now. So great for the Cubs here. Their AA affiliate from MLB.com, one of the top 10 minor league teams in all of baseball. And there's some great names on that AA roster. You mentioned AAA has already started. The Iowa Cubs, 4-0. They have not lost this season. Yeah. But that AA roster is highlighted by some of the best names in the system. Pete Crow Armstrong, of course, is atop that list at AA. Jordan Wicks is on that roster. Ben Brown is on that roster. Owen Casey is on that roster. Uh, the rest of the minor league system opened their seasons tonight. And Pete Crow Armstrong, two hits, a walk, and a stolen base in his AA debut tonight. Also on that Tennessee roster, my guy Chase Strumpf. Uh, B.J. Murray, Porter Hodge, top-level pitching prospect, and Miguel Amaya tries to get his minor league career back on track. Hopefully he stays healthy. There's a lot of really big names on this double-A roster. And uh, speaking of Jim Callis, uh, you know, MLB, they also updated their top 100 prospects, obviously with some graduations. And Kate Horton uh, is now a top 100 prospect on MLB.com, who Jim Callis said he fought for hard to get on that mm -hmm. list. So uh, it's nice to see another Cub on top 100 list. Kate Horton, a top 100 uh, prospect now on MLB.com. Have either of you watched any of the minor league games, maybe Iowa or something like that up to this point? Uh, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans were on marquee tonight, and I did have that game on uh, before we set to record. And that's a nice kind of uh, uh, interlude with no Major League Baseball here in Chicago to be watched 
this evening. So it's nice to have minor league baseball on my TV and the first uh, television appearance on my television of the famed Slider the Bat Dog, easily the hardest working <laughs> uh, canine in all of minor league baseball. So Slider, if you're listening, great job tonight. And he retrieves the bats, right? Like a, He does. He, he yeah. is the, instead of a bat boy or a bat girl, he is the bat dog. He's well-trained. He goes out there and he gets the discarded bat from the uh, the home plate area. He brings it back to the dugout. He gets a treat and a scratch. And then he sits patiently until the next bat. Again, well-trained, well-trained and hardworking. Great. Hopefully uh, they don't have uh, beer bats out there because it might confuse the dog, uh, you know, to where to go. But uh, I've watched a, a few of the Iowa games. Uh and I've watched today. I was riding the train uh, back, and I, I, you know, kill some time on the train. I was slipping through the uh, Myrtle Beach and the Tennessee game, so mm-hmm. I watched a couple of that. Um, so I, I've watched a few games, all through, mostly through uh, the MLB.TV app. But I have watched a couple of non-Cubs affiliate games through the ML, MILBD, uh, excuse me, MILB.TV app. Yeah, same experience for me, actually. And I got a bone to pick with Dick Monfort, Tom Ricketts, and the Major League Baseball owners. Just the collective total half-assing of MLB.TV that continues to today. I was really excited coming into this year because the big talk from the league was, hey, we're going to put minor league games on the service as well. So if you're a Cubs fan, if you're following the Cubs, you're going to get to see those minor league games. The problem is those games are not archived. So if you are not watching the game live, and you open up MLB TV maybe after a full day of work, or you go out, you come back, you want to just catch up on the game from that day, there's no native way inside of the MLB.TV app to go back and watch a game that isn't live in the minor leagues, like you can in the majors. So if a Cubs game ends, I can go back, watch it, I can jump around the game. If I'm not watching that minor league game live, it disappears from the service. Now you can go into the separate MILB app, but that adds extra layers and steps and it shouldn't be like that. So I think that that is something that I hope MLB TV puts just the slightest bit of effort into fixing because you know what? I'm not always available when the Iowa Cubs are playing live, but I still want to go back and watch some highlights. Yeah, that's the sort of thing you'd hope they integrate at some point. And I would imagine part of the part of the appeal of being able to watch all these minor league games is the people with a vested interest in minor leaguers, scouts, writers, that sort of thing. You're going to want to be able to go back and watch a guy's outing, you know, pitch by pitch or watch a, watch a a guy's swing uh, a teeny bit at a time. So that's the sort of thing you would hope that they integrate because then again, I imagine that's part of the appeal of having all these minor league games is being able to look at certain players really closely. And that's going to be made a great deal more difficult if you can't easily access the archive broadcasts. Well, as Ronan did mention, uh, you know, for any like any writers or whatever who are, are trying to do it, like I assume they all have the MILB, which does archive it all, which is but it is I agree with you. It is more difficult on the um, for a fan who's just trying to watch it. Yeah, I would like if um, it just feels like they're just picking up the MILB kind of feed. And it's not really part of the MLB.tv feed, but you can access it for your own team through uh, the MLB.tv. That's just how it feels. But I agree with you uh, it is a little bit annoying. Um, where it's just kind of whatever the live kind of feed is. Uh, and it's, it is much difficult because there's no real native app for the MILB.TV. Uh, Although it is nice now that as a MLB person who has MLB.TV, you can just log in with that onto your MILB.TV and you can get any game you want and watch it. Yeah. That is nice now to have. But hopefully in the future, now that, you know, minor leagues are it's all under the same umbrella, Major League Baseball controls all of them, um, it becomes integrated more and more. Yeah. 
it's a pretty lousy user experience. And this is somebody, I am a diehard baseball fan. I am the type of person who comes back from a concert. It's 1230 at night. And I go, hey, I wouldn't mind watching some clips here. Matt Mervis had a great opening day for the Iowa Cubs. And I got home late that night. I wanted to watch some of it. And there was no way. I spent 20 minutes inside the app trying to fire up the game. It just isn't loading. So they've got to invest a little bit here into that user experience and make it better. And sort of the funny thing on that is a lot of those tech jobs with MLB and MLB Advanced Media are out of Boulder, just down the street here, north of Denver. So maybe I got to drive up there and knock on the door and say, boys, boys, what are we doing here? I'm trying to watch Myrtle Beach. I'm trying to watch Iowa. But these games sometimes are happening when the big league Cubs are playing. So I'm watching the major league team. I'd like to watch the minor league games later. It's just not that great right now in the current setup. Seems like a missed opportunity to go knock on some doors and go, ah, geez, guys, what's going on here? Uh, yeah. You know, why why can't I get the archive? What's going on here? So you are the closest, of course, to those offices of anyone on this show. If there are any complaints to be hand delivered, it seems to me that falls to you. Yeah, well, it's all this tech jobs up in Boulder, um, but it is always funny. If you go to MLB.com and you click on careers, the vast majority of the jobs are out of the New York or Northeast offices, and then all the tech and dev jobs are right here out of Boulder. So um, just something I've noticed. I've been a little bit frustrated, uh, annoyed too. This week in baseball, which was introduced to MLB TV about two years ago, it is the same 20 episodes for the last two years. Can somebody please go in there and just drop a different batch of 20 so I can see something different? Uh, that stuff I get excited about. There's a lot of crap on MLB digital media these days they've got influencers getting a ton of spotlight Oof. they do very very short highlight clips where the ball's already in the outfield before i see what the count is or who's on base there's no context to any of these clips that they put together i want to watch this week in baseball but it's been the same 20 episodes for the last two years so put a little bit more care into it it's not the cheapest product in the world and when you spend all off season saying hey we're implementing minor league baseball do it right so people can watch those games. That's something I'd like to see change. All right. Well, those owners have heard me, so hopefully they'll take it. Randall, you had your hand up. I thought you had something to say there. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we were talking about the minor leagues, some interesting names to watch at each level, just one or two names. But we talked about, we've talked about Iowa. By the way, uh, Matt Mervis hit a grand slam today as we record right. this on the evening of the 6th. But we talked about Double uh, A Tennessee. High A has uh, w- at least one interesting name. That's of course Kevin Alcantara, the the Jaguar, and that's a really interesting name to watch. Myrtle Beach has more than a few interesting names. You have Cade Horton, who Jeremy mentioned was moved into the top 100 MLB prospects today, so he is in the rotation at uh, Low A Myrtle Beach. You have Moises Ballesteros, who has a very he's a very young catcher. With a great skill set, you have Christian Hernandez, the high-profile international free agent signing, who's in his first uh, assignment outside the complex league. And we've talked about, we spent the last few minutes talking about uh, minor league games being streamed. We've talked about how Marquis is carrying a number of minor league games. There are really interesting names to watch at each level. And that's something Cubs fans should take advantage of is the increasing ease of following these teams and watching these games and keeping an eye on some of these big names at each level. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you look at, uh, uh, uh Meryl beach, our Christian Hernandez did have an air today. That was unfortunate. He flipped the ball over, uh, the second baseman's head, but, uh, I agree with you, Randall. Uh, there's definitely a lot of interesting names on each team. And it, I, I think Marquis has done a much better job of late covering the minor leagues. I mean, we saw them do that kind of, um, 
kind of you know that that one show last year where, the, where they zoomed in on each different game uh that kind of look around show looking show and i it's been interesting i think you know the hire of lance brozdowski has been a big part of that and i think it's it's kind of it, i that's one thing i think marquee has done a really good job um over time is they've really done a nice job interviewing interviewing minor league players getting into it following them along and so hopefully we'll see some of these guys come up and be part of the next great cups team and it should be noted they are doing that show again this season where the Cubs broadcasts will allow for it schedulized as this kind of whip around show from the marquee studios where they're going to check in on the minor league games as they happen. They'll check in on uh, Pete Crow Armstrong's at bats and they'll check in on probably Cade Horton when he's starting and when they have this show running. And that is something marquee has done very well is really go in depth on these minor leaguers and their skill sets and their data. Uh, and, you know, Marquis, as I'm sitting here watching games over the weekend on Sunday, maybe I'm irritable because the Cubs are losing nine to five to a bunch of schmucks who just keep blooping the ball in the outfield right over the infield. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, Marquis has just been disappointing so far hmm. between all of the circus excess, between not having access for the first really two seasons between the constant split screen, the constantly sending it down to the dugout. So Taylor McGregor can talk about the opposing pitchers, third grade teacher or whatever. Marquis so far has been a little bit of a disappointment. And I think a lot of that is because there's a lot of out of town, stupid running the network. But like Jeremy said, their coverage of the minor leagues and in making that information and these players and these names kind of bringing them, uh, elevating the stories and elevating the ease of the information, that's something they have done very well. I feel like the three-man booth with Boog, JD, and Joe Girardi has actually gotten a lot of positive feedback from the fan base, more than I was expecting with it. I prefer a two-man booth. I prefer a two-man booth with no sideline reporter. That, to me, is an ideal way of watching a ball game i'll go one step further a two-man booth no sideline reporter no tweets on the broadcast correct we have that i remember those days accurate that long ago agreement yeah i I mean i'm just happy to be watching i guess i'm not burned yet with the experience of putting games on but uh it's this is what the heads want here from the Marquee Sports Network. They want a national feel, and national feel means you cram a bunch of people into the booth. This is the broadcasting landscape now for better or for worse, and more for worse than better, and that's that's unfortunate. I, I do smile, though, when I see decks on the pregame coverage. It's nice here. MLB TV does now show the pre- and post-game show. I've been working during the day games. You know, It's been a midweek sort of a thing for me, but I look over to my left, and there's Dex smiling back at me, and it's like, all right, everything's good here. Hey, it's Dex. great to see him back How you doing? on the team. Yeah. Well, let's zoom out from the Cubs here for the final couple of minutes of the show here today. Uh, let's start in the National League. What is more surprising to you both? And I have to preface this because Jeremy will say it if I don't. We're talking very small sample sizes. So we're not making big exaggerations here, but we're a week into the year and some things are interesting. What surprises you more? Milwaukee's hot start at 5-1 and one, or St. Louis's slow start at 2-4? and four? Milwaukee's hot start. Milwaukee's hot start. That's just not a good roster. That's not a good lineup. And what the, what the hell are the Mets doing going in there and letting the Brewers walk all over them in that opening series at American Family Miller Ballpark, whatever it's called now? The Brewers starting hot is far more surprising to me than the Cardinals starting cold because the Cardinals are shit and we all know it. Pitching's been rough in St. Louis. Yes, I'm going to take the opposite so is, view. So is entertaining yourself and so is eating in the city, both things that are also rough in St. Louis. <laughs> I'm going to take good Italian food down there, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to take the opposite view of uh, Randall here. I think the Cardinals uh, 
uh, slow start. They did, you know, they have played some decent teams, the Blue Jays and the Braves, but, you know, the pitching has not been good. As you did note, it is a small sample, but the pitching has not been good. And how about, you know, they have a three-game losing streak and they have their manager calling out one of their better players in the press, uh, calling out Tyler O'Neill for not running hard all the way home, which if you watch that video, it didn't look like he was running full speed when Acuna threw him out uh, at home. But, uh, you know, that's not really the best look. I, you're already five games into the season, six now, uh, and your manager and your one of your better players in Tyler O'Neill are having, like, public kind of dispute. So, I, I, to me, it's the Cardinals. I, I would expect – I picked them to win the division, obviously. Um, I think their Brewers and the Cardinals are both solid teams, above 500 teams. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit nice when the Brewers beat up the Mets, but – I. I think there might be some trouble in the Cardinals, uh, you know, organization and I'm here for it. If there is. Absolutely. I, I couldn't possibly be more here for it. There is uh, of course the famous short video clip, uh, the bulls and the heat from back when the bulls were good, good enough to be playing the heat in the playoffs. And there's Chris Bosch yelling at Mario Chalmers while Joe Kim Noah just stands there claps and go, yeah, yeah, really, really get in there and yell at him. And that's absolutely me. I am the Joe Kim Noah and the Cardinals and, uh, Ali Marmol and Tyler O'Neill are Chris Bosch and Mario Chalmers. And I'm absolutely standing there clapping going, yeah, yeah, really, really let it out, really lay into each other. Any dysfunction down there, uh, is good. And if the Cardinals are going to be messy this year, I will absolutely be sitting there in the front row with a bucket of popcorn, watching them and egging them on. You know, I did something this week that I I don't know that I've ever admitted this, or at least it's very infrequent when I do admit something like this. I agreed with the Cardinals player. Oof. He's talking to the press going, I don't know why we're talking to you guys about this. This is something that should be handled in-house. I thought that was a huge error in judgment from the manager of the Cardinals. Look, he wasn't hustling to home plate. He got thrown out. You can't do that. You're off to a slow start, but keep it in the clubhouse. You don't need to air your grievances the first week of the year with the press. So I was agreeing with the player there. Like, hey, man, you made a good point. It's like that meme. The guy you hate makes a good yeah, point. Yeah, worst person you know. <laughs> worst person you know just made a great point. If it yeah. were me, I would be in the one. I would be like the devil on each one's shoulder telling each side that they're right and making it worse. I'd be whispering in Ollie Marmol's ear saying, you're right. The player wasn't hustling. You were right to do this. You were right to air it out in the media, really excoriate him, teach him a lesson. And then I'd be talking to Tyler O'Neill going, you're in the right here. It should be kept in house. It was a bad send by the third base coach. It was wet. It was rainy. You don't want to hurt yourself this early in the season. I'd be the one just making it worse, going from one side to the other and making it as worse as I possibly can. That's one of the many reasons why they will never allow me into an MLB clubhouse, because I would absolutely do something like that. <laughs> well, one other thought on the Cardinals. Uh, this is tough. Jordan Walker appears to be the real deal, man. This guy is a monster. 20 years old, 6'6". I saw his first home run, the first major league home run against Atlanta the other day. This guy is going to haunt the Cubs for most of the next decade. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to hate a 20-year-old guy at the start of his career, but I'm not going to like Jordan Walker because I think this guy is going to be a Cubs killer. Who, who, who's not going to hate a 20-year-old? He's in a Cardinals uniform. If he doesn't want to be hated, then then don't be in the Cardinals uniform. You're going to tell me tough. it's not if you're going to tell me it's not his choice. I'm going to tell you I don't care. Like if you're on the Cardinals, I, I don't like you. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Wilson, but uh, you're, you're on the Cardinals right now. But you're probably right. But you know he can he can be a monster for like a like a 66 win Cardinals team if he wants. Everybody everybody's happy that way. He he did have some issues in the field. Uh... Uh, a few games ago so hopefully you know maybe there's some 
uh, evening out there where he might not be as great and as in right field or or whatever. But yeah, he he he's looked a monster ever the last couple of years during the minor leagues and spring training. Um, you know, so far hopefully he's he's in and out of that Cardinals uniform pretty quickly. Maybe you know they don't sign him to an extension. But uh, yeah, uh, Jordan Walker appears to be a very good baseball player. Maybe yeah. Jeff Samarja can give him that famous advice: play your way out of St. Louis. Uh, some, well, I, you know, I'm worried that the big extension is coming, coming very, very soon here where they lock him up in the next month. And then he's a Cardinal for the next eight years or nine. I mean, they could sign him to a nine year deal and he's a free agent still before he's 30. So I don't like this, right? He looks like the real deal. He appears to be a really good ball player. And I'm sick of these like incredible ball players just popping up in St. Louis. But trapping someone in St. Louis for nine years sounds more like a threat than a, like a, a life changing <laughs> event. So I hope he knows that. Elsewhere in the National League, teams that we expected to be good that are off to good starts, Dodgers 4-2, and two, Atlanta with a, another win here today. They are 6-1, and one, but really slow starts for two teams that we all anticipate to be very good. San Diego at 3-4, and four, but how about those Phillies? 1-5 to open the year. It's been a tough stretch for the defending National League champs. 1-5, and five, including being swept in Texas uh, by that Rangers team to start the season. And it is very funny, of course, uh, the Phillies, you know, you, you you can't control your schedule. You open the season where you open the season. You can't control who signs where. You can't control who stays healthy. The Phillies go through a whole offseason of seeing Jacob deGrom leave the division, and then they end up facing him in Texas on opening day because, of course, he signs with the Rangers and ends up their opening day starter. So that's, it's very funny to me. You just can't escape certain things no matter where you go. It reminds me of spring training, spring training, 2017 do you know who the very first batter the spring training cubs faced in 2017 was i could take a guess he hit a big home run in game seven that yes. he did Raj, rajay. rajay davis first batter the cubs faced in spring training 2017 all the trouble of signing with oakland and ending up their leadoff man in the the first game of spring training you just never know who's going to end up right in front of you ready to ruin your day again the same way kyle schwarber always ends up right in front of yeah. garrett cole willing to put one in the river on him and make him break into a cold sweat. Some things just follow you around baseball. Or you Darvish. Has been, yeah, you Darvish. Uh, Schwarbs off to a slow start for the Phillies and uh, the defending NL champs. Uh, they've had a tough sl- schedule here to open up the year. You know, Phillies fans, they're freaking out, end of the world, but that team's going to be fine. Give it another week or two. Uh, over in the American League, Tampa Bay, the only undefeated team still in baseball at 6-0. and the tribe, I shouldn't say that, the Guardians in the Central at 5-2. and two, They're the front runners, but kind of neat out in the West. Anaheim at 4-2. and two. Otani's doing Otani things. They had a, a nice window the other day there in Seattle. Otani doing a little bit of everything in that ballgame. Yeah, and all without Anthony Rendon, really. He was suspended <laughs> for you taking know, a swing Anthony at a fan. Rendon things. Yeah. yeah, you know, Shohei Otani, because, of course, he is the supremely talented player that he is. He became the first player in Major League history to have a clock violation called on him as a pitcher and as a batter. So you're not going to see too many guys get that distinction, much less in the same game. You're not going to see too many guys get that in the same season. And he managed it in the same game because there's nothing Shohei Otani can't do. Well, you might see yeah. uh, Hanser Alberto uh, get that because <laughs> he's become the first White Sox player in team history to pitch a uh, position player to pitch twice in the same series. That's how, that's how you know your season's off to a great start. Yeah. 
Well, we're talking about the American League. Jeremy, you went out to the American League ballpark in Chicago earlier this week. Sox Park, day game. Uh, how was the experience out there? You and 5,000 of your best yeah. friends. Not not a very uh, packed uh, crowd, but I will say a couple things. One, it was a day game following opening day. It was not opening day. And two, as Randall mentioned earlier in the broadcast, there was some weather uh, this past week in Chicago. That was a game where it was it was storming that pretty much that whole morning. And so I I you know it was it was supposed to be clear in the afternoon, but I was still looking at the weather, looking at the updates, being like, are they gonna get this game in? Hopefully the field's gonna be ready because we got the sod father out there. I, I trust him, but like it's coming down pretty hard. But yeah, it was it was it was not a packed ballpark. I will say that. Um, but it was a fun game. I enjoy going to the south side. I enjoy watching baseball. I I love having the luxury of having two teams in this uh uh city of ours and so yeah it was a great game to be at it wasn't just raining that morning it was hailing we had hail up here in the northern suburbs now granted uh meteorologically the white Sox park is a long can be a long way away from the northern suburbs but yeah we had some weather moving through it was hailing it was raining the wind was blowing it was it was an interesting weather morning that day yeah but a nice trip down to the south side and a chance to see a giants with the opponent right it was the Giants, the White Sox Giants. It was the one game for the White Sox. Uh, the bats were awake and the pitching, while uh, not the best, but they held the Giants in check. And uh, I got to see Dylan Seats for Logan Webb. So really the aces for both teams. Uh, Seats had eight strikeouts, but he also had five walks, uh, 52 mm-hmm. strikes to 47 balls. So he was he was in some jams, but he was able to get out of them. Giants had a few game, uh, innings uh, where they had some guys on base. Jock Pearson had a couple big strikeouts in huge situations, but uh, White Sox won 7-3. So it was a nice win for the White Sox. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. My first big league game tomorrow night, Coors Field. It will be opening night for the Rockies. They had their home opener today, a one nothing victory against the Washington Nationals that took two hours and 18 minutes that's unbelievable for a Coors Field ball game, but good for the Rockies winning in their home opener. You know, I, I will say in this opening week, the effects of the pitch clock are definitely being felt. Last Saturday, the Guardians and the Mariners played a game in two hours. Uh, opening yep. day, of course, one twenty start started on time, no weather issues, and that game was over. Jeremy, you were there. That game was what less than two and a half hours. Yeah, it was two twenty. It was two and two hours and twenty minutes. It was, I, you know, you're on the you're you're leaving the ballpark and it's like 345 and i'm like i don't yeah, even, even know what to do right now even saturday's game had some messy innings in it and it was still over a little before the three hour mark that was a 120 game and that game was that game was over by four o'clock so still only two and a half 240 it's 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 weird it's weird to only have to with you're watching the game at home or if you're going to the ball game it's weird to only have to budget two and a half to three hours now versus budgeting three, three and a half to four hours. Uh, it's, it's, it's odd. It's going to take some getting used yeah. to. I don't, I don't hate it. I'm not against it. It's just going to take some adjusting to. I will say one thing as an MLB dot uh, TV patron, uh, if there's kind of a, a plus and a minus to it, it's like the plus is okay. All the early games get over right quicker. And you're like, Oh, I can actually watch more of the West coast games, but then the West coast games are over quicker as well. And there always used to be like, know some late night game or some game that went long and you're like all right that's kind of fun to watch into the night um but now they're all over and it's like oh all the games are over and it's it's a little like i wish there was like one more game to just put on while i'm going to bed or something yeah you know it's not that we're getting less baseball it's just the baseball we are getting is taking less time it's kind of like you're not getting fewer chips in the bag 
but the bag itself is smaller. Like there's less air in the bag. And I said during the World Baseball Classic, uh, I was watching some game. It was not a particularly, it was was not a game in which I was invested too heavily, but I was kind of glad there was no pitch clock because I was just absorbed into the couch. And I said, okay, I'm going to get up when this game ends. And if there were a pitch clock on this game, I'd have to get up like half an hour sooner. So I appreciated it on that basis. But, you know, I don't hate it. It's just going to take some getting used to. Yeah, games are definitely moving. I'm eager to see it in person tomorrow. Uh, just not what you expected. Coors Field, a one nothing game in under two hours and 20 minutes. Uh, in fact, it was the only ever one nothing opening day at Coors Field. A pitching matchup tomorrow night. Randall, hold on to your overalls for this one. For the 1-6 Washington Nationals, Mackenzie Gore, former sort of a big prospect. And then for the 3-4 and four Colorado Rockies, Jose Urania. So I am hammering the over. Tomorrow for total runs in that ball game, I think it's going to be a bit of a shootout after a one nothing game. So uh, always good to get out to the ballpark for the first time this year. I'm glad you guys have gotten a Wrigley experience in Coors Field for me tomorrow night and then Wrigley Field in 15 days. No, you're going to get to see one of the rare, rare, not as rare as it used to be, but still rare sites in Major League Baseball. You will get to see a single digit pitcher on the mound for the Washington Nationals. Mackenzie Gore, uh, wearer of jersey number one. So you will get Mm -hmm. to say that you uh, saw that at Coors Field. And I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of numbers from that game that are number one. I don't think there's going to be, I think there's going to be more runs, more hits. (laughs) So that's uh, something you can look forward to as a pitcher wearing number one. He pitched pretty well in his last start against the Rays. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And he was uh, a very big prospect a number of years ago hasn't really worked out for him but now he's in a new environment there very very low stakes in washington dc right now just go out with a pulse and you're going to have a job with that team right now but they've got an interesting core of minor leaguers that are starting to percolate up to the majors and i'm looking forward to seeing them out there and then early next week monday tuesday wednesday the st louis cardinals are coming to denver so i'm thinking tuesday night is probably the ball game that i'm going to go to but i gotta go see the cardinals every year when they're in town i want to go see them it's the easiest day all year for me to cheer for the Rockies no problem putting on a Rockies sweatshirt and a hat for that ball game when they're playing St. Louis get those booing shoes on booing shoes on sure yeah uh, I guess yeah I can I can make that happen for you any any shoes can be booing shoes as long as you boo while wearing them it's very easy well, I always get a kick out of the opposing fans. Uh, today was the opening day. I was working this afternoon at the patio door open. I saw unbelievable jerseys going to Coors Field today. I saw a Rick Vaughn 99 Indians jersey walking down the street. <laughs> that guy got a thumbs up for me. Uh, tons of Nolan Arenado still uh, talking Rockies, Nolan Arenado jerseys, and a handful of Chris Bryant's. And he had a nice day today. His RBI knocked the difference in that ball game at Coors Field. He is still not yet homered as a Colorado Rocky at Coors Field ever. So maybe tomorrow night I get to see that for the first time. Man, go off go off against the Cardinals, Chris. Do it for me. And yeah. if we are speaking about jerseys, I do want to point out, I did at the ball game yesterday sit behind a like authentic Yerman Mercedes White Sox jersey, which I could only feel bad about because that was a That's... very expensive purchase for a guy yeah. who who by the middle of that season was talking about retiring. So yeah. it was, I was like, oh, uh, his buddy had the same jersey, but as a Tim Anderson, and I was like, okay, that one, mm-hmm. that one sticks around. 
Tony Larusa claims another soul. Yeah, White Sox authentic jerseys are not cheap because you got the double. It was a you've shown us the picture. It was a a black alternate jersey. White Sox black alternate jerseys have that double outline around the numbers and the letters that actually drives up the price because it's it's more complex. Somebody spent somewhere between two fifty and three hundred on that jersey, and it's now a two hundred fifty to three hundred dollar conversation piece when people ask who's Mercedes number seventy three. They sit down. Well, let me tell you the story of your mean. Yeah. So when you're making a I like jersey it. purchase, I like it because it's got you talking about it, right? You saw a hundred jerseys at that Soxy. Most of them just sort of disappeared into the background. That one got your attention. So for that, I like it. Yeah, All right, end with this for you guys. Wrigley Field, though, Friday or rather Thursday or Saturday, uh, most bizarre jersey you saw in the ballpark. That's a good or question. Or on the ballpark, you know, pregame, you're at the bar, you're enjoying yourself. Give me a jersey that you saw. I got. I saw people wearing Christian Yelich jerseys, which is just perplexing to me because I've never heard of that guy. Oh come on, come on! I said it. Any I random didn't... Cubs jerseys that you're like, wow, that guy had a Coy Hill jersey on at the ballpark. No, I saw some. I saw some Aramis Ramirez. Um, there's still lots of Baez's and Bryant's and Rizzo's walking around. I did see, you know, I did see a David Ross. 2017 opener the gold trimmed jerseys okay uh so i did see that jersey i saw somebody actually spent money on a, a david ross gold trimmed jersey so i did see that oh I, I think that's a worthy purchase the guy was a critical part of that team uh, all right big hit in game seven so i got no complaints with that what about you jeremy i mean definitely uh he was a big critical part of that you know 2016 championship team of course he wasn't on the team in 2017 to wear that jersey. But uh, for me, I, I'm trying to think about this. I'm like, I don't feel like I saw too many jerseys because, one, it was a very cold day. And most people I was around uh, were all bundled up. And I didn't really see a lot of jerseys there. So, uh, you know, I'm sure I saw at some point a Ryan Terrio and just kind of mentally <laughs> plated that one. So I'm just going to say that because I'm sure it was out there. All right. That works. Uh, we'll see what I find tomorrow. But today... The one for me, Indians 99 Vaughn. I saw that guy walking down the street and I go, all right, I like it. I respect it. Uh, always great to see somebody sporting that. Um, just so many random jerseys that were completely unrelated to the Rockies and the Nationals walking around lower downtown today. Uh, always cracks me up a little bit. Like you're going to a opening day for the Rockies and you're wearing a Toronto Blue Jays jersey. I don't know. I wouldn't do that. Definitely. I, I saw a guy, I think, uh, at the White Sox game the other day, and he was wearing like in full like Oakland gear. And I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll see how the Cubs fare here. A bunch of American League West teams coming out to Wrigley Field for the next week. Again, Texas for three this weekend. Seattle for three next week. And fingers crossed, those Wrigley lights are not flickering on the inevitable Patrick Wisdom home run Monday night at Wrigley Field. I'm eager to see it. The Cubs have been very quiet about it. And again, if you don't know what we're talking about, just type in pretty much any other major league team. Type in home run, watch a video clip, and you'll see those lights flashing after each home run this year. But we'll be back next week. Much more to talk about. We'll take another dip down to the minor leagues. And I'm sure I'll have a story or two for you from opening night at Coors Field. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.